Welcome back to Tackling the NFL, the only NFL podcast that always knew that Davis Mills was QB1 in the 2021 draft class. I'm Josh He was up there on my rankings. That's Adam Baltax. And yes, it's true. Tackling the NFL is back. We are recording another episode. And let me tell you, I'm excited about it. This episode is going to be just like, because we missed literally the entire 21 season, 2021 season in terms of podcasting, a reflection on the regular season as we go into the playoffs on everything that really caught us off guard because we spent a lot of time during the off season leading up to the season, making predictions, giving takes, saying what we thought would happen. And honestly, some of that was right. A lot of that wasn't. This was one of the stranger seasons on records. I think you'd agree, Adam. Oh, for sure. Like with the extra game and all the new records and stuff like that, you just, it's kind of hard to, to compare this season to any other season in NFL history. Yep. And then obviously you add in the pandemic, which hit the NFL significantly harder this season what, than wait, it did what in pandemic? 2020. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm talking about the flu. Have you, have you heard about it? Oh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's so COVID-19 has really come home to roost in the NFL this year. There's been significantly more cases. That's turned a lot of games actually, and probably some playoff races. Kirk Cousins, Vikings. Uh, <laughs> and you I like think that? that it made it really hard to predict what would happen. So we've got quite a bit, lot of things that we were surprised by. And I think we'll just get right into it. Adam, what was the first thing that surprised you looking back on the 2021 season? Well, I think if we're starting at like the very start of the season, we got to look at how that draft class did. And to be fair, Overall, the draft class did a lot better than either of us projected it to do throughout the season. What was, what was to you the biggest surprise out of that draft class? I would say I was very much all along. You can go back and list like 10 different episodes where I said, Penesuel over Jamar Chase, Penesuel over Jamar Chase. The Bengals are making a mistake. And honestly, it took until week 17 until I was convinced that the Bengals made the right choice, but they did. Jamar Chase is incredible, truly incredible. For the record, Penesuel is also very good. Rashawn Slater was actually better than him this season, but I think long-term Sewell has absurd upside and it's a perfectly good choice. But Jamar Jamar Chase is incredible. He's transformed the Bengals' offense and has just made them essentially a hydra with three different heads. You can't cut them all down. And then you just add in Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow's extended ability to extend plays. It's so hard to stop. I don't know. What were you thinking? I mean, Jamar Chase is the most blatant answer because of how much hate we gave him after that awful preseason. Yep, Uh, that's on me. I mean... And, and to be fair, like, we had no reason to think that he'd do any better. The drops were completely on him. They were not, they were not like, mistakes with the offense. They were his mistakes. So the fact that he was able to make such a, like, 180 come season time was huge for the Bengals, who in 2020 uh, did not have a good season at all. Obviously, Joe Burrow was not there, so, like, that's not too fair to say. But they were last in the AFC North which is a great division, but they, they did not have a good season at all. And suddenly this young wide receiver comes in, ex-Borough teammate. They both come back together and they have this connection that you just haven't seen in the Bengals, I want to say ever. Like when was the last time that they had a wide receiver quarterback connection? I guess Ocho Cinco and Dalton maybe. But like <laughs> that, that, was, that was a long time ago. So it, it's, it's a brand new team. Uh, and, and it's all like that division is never going to be bad. There, it's it's going to be so much fun to watch in the future. But, I mean, you, you said it, like, jokingly at the start of the podcast, but the quarterbacks, what happened? So that, that was actually something I really wanted to talk about. I'm glad we're on the same page because 
what's crazy is that this was one of the best quarterback classes in, I would say, like, re, re, somewhat recent history. There was five first-round quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and all of them were legitimate first-round quarterbacks. This year, there's going to be, like, probably three or four quarterbacks taking the first round, I'd say, and none of them mm-hmm. are that good. Like, I'd say, like, the quarterback five from last year's class, which was Mac Jones at the time, would pretty easily be the number one overall pick or at least first quarterback taken in this draft. Yeah. And it's so strange because all of them were bad. Right. Like you could, <laughs> obviously you could make it, you could say that Mac Jones was fine. It's a little bit harsh of me to say that he was bad, but I just don't count that piece. He wasn't asked you know to what? do anything. I'm not, bad he, at it. I'm not bad at the word bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know other people are going to be mad, but like <laughs> he was behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. You've got Bill Belichick coaching you. You have a strong power run game when Damian Harris looked really good this year and Ramondre Stevenson also played really well. There was one game which they won where he threw three passes. Like I know that that game was in a blizzard, on the other side of the field, Josh Allen threw 10 times as many passes. And, like, it just makes it hard for me to say that Mac Jones was anything all that special this year. Three passes in a game, that's ridiculous. Right? And, like, sure, Bill Belichick or whatever. But the fact that the first six quarterbacks taken in this draft just were completely unproductive is so unheard of. Like, when was the last time that – and especially with this much hype, Around the quarterbacks, you got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance going one, two, three. Trevor Lawrence, obviously a horrible like situation, but at the same time, underperformed. Underperformed. I will say, like, I think my takeaway for Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence both, Trevor Lawrence a little bit more than Fields, they flashed such special throws, like maybe once a game or so, that yeah. I'm not worried about them at all moving forward. I do have much bigger questions for Zach Wilson and to a, a different extent, Trey Lance. Yeah, it's just such a weird situation. And then you got Davis Mills, who, after like a rough start, was a really good quarterback, or at least a top like 10 quarterback for the last couple games of the season. Where did that come from? Baffling, man. His touch and arm talent throwing deep was insane. Like he was one of the best deep passers in the entire league. And he pretty clearly earned himself the starting job for another season, unless the Texans who fired their head coach David Culley today. That's a whole different conversation that I don't think we want to have, but let's just say I hate the uh, McNair family, which owns the Texans. Davis Mills seems to have earned himself the starting job for another season, especially given that even though they have the number three overall pick, there isn't a quarterback worth taking a number three. So I'm actually very curious to see where this goes because if he can keep throwing deep that effectively and then start adding in, like layering in the intermediate and short games, that's a workable quarterback there. Yeah, and I, and I apologize for saying uh, six quarterbacks drafted before. It was actually seven. I thought that – I knew Mond and Mills went back back to back, but Mond actually went before Mills. Did Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond go before Kyle Davis Trask Mills? went two picks before Mond. So it was Trask, then and wow. Andre Sisko, then Mond, then Mills. Again, for the record, Davis Mills looked atrocious in college. So it's not oh, like I and can... the And the first couple of weeks of the season, or that he true. played in the season, did not look Very good. true. It's not like I can necessarily fault teams for passing on him, but that just makes it this much more confusing that he's done this. Mm-hmm. I, the other two quarterbacks that I'm curious about, I feel like we can talk briefly about them, is Trey Lance, who never won the starting job. But I would say that knowing Kyle Shanahan, that's not too surprising. I think the next season will be what we, where we really learn what Shanahan thinks about him and what he looks like as a quarterback. But Zach Wilson picked a number two overall by the Jets over, I mean, Trey Lance... Justin Fields, Mac Jones, all of whom look better than him this year in the time that they played, I'd say. Mm-hmm. What do you think about him? I have a lot of concerns. 
once again, this is another like first year that I don't want to say anything like crazy on because it's obviously early um, defensive minded coach, not not the greatest offensive weapons. Like, you know, like there's obviously things holding him back. But to be fair, out of all the situations you could have been put in, I want to say the Jets is better than a couple of them in terms of like offensive line, coaching, new coaching staff, new opportunities. And he just didn't impress. He was kind of like, like he had one or one or two flashy plays per game. And that's obviously something that you get out of NFL quarterbacks. I feel like that's any quarterback can have an insane, like he had insane passes early on in the season, like one cross body, like sling, um, like 60 yards on the field. But it's just, he didn't do it consistently enough to prove that he's a long-term quarterback. And that's obviously something that he can prove, but right now he does not look like that worthy of the number two overall pick. You know who this reminds me of and what we've been saying for years? I I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Like this is what we said about Sam Darnold for years when he was with the Jets. And I hope for Zach Wilson, he doesn't do that. But I, you know, I said all along, he was not my second quarterback and I feel pretty justified in that, even if the others weren't that great, but let's move on because I have, more quarterbacks I want to diss on, apparently. I, I'm going to note now, I should have noted this at the top of the episode, this show isn't going to be talking a lot about the teams in the league that might be the best, like the Packers, the Bills, the Bucks, Kansas City, just because those are teams who we expected to be what they ended up being. And a lot of them actually took pretty circuitous routes to that position, mm-hmm. but they're all very clearly very good teams, and we expected that. I have very different questions about some of the more fraudulent quarterbacks in the league. And I'm looking in two different Midwestern cities, Cleveland and Indianapolis. Which one do you want to start on, Adam? (laughs) Those are the two I have written down as well. Uh, Let's, let's starting, I guess let's start with the, you know, less bad one. Let's go with Indianapolis. first. Oh, wow. Okay. Less bad one. That's interesting. Because I just don't have as many excuses for Carson Wentz. I have, there's obviously reasonable excuses for Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is that Carson Wentz was, it's not a week 18 thing where he just, you know, like shut down and put on one of the worst quarterback performances you'll probably ever see in an important game against the Jaguars in a win and in game against the worst team in the league. Carson Wentz, I would say, was always bad this year. And the Colts were mostly scoring in spite of him. Yeah. Carson Wentz was second in the league in yards earned by defensive pass interference. And that's not because he threw nice throws that like defenders felt the need to interfere to like prevent the receiver catching it. No, he underthrew every single deep ball he threw this season. And then the receivers had to come back for the ball and they had to go through the defensive back and then they got past Hey, that's a strategy right there. It is a strategy, but man, it hurts to watch. It hurts to watch. Yeah. It, I mean, right here, like at the start of the season, we mentioned this, um, the importance of the, of having a good quarterback to be successful. And I want to say that even as much as I expressed this, I undervalued it. The The importance of a good quarterback is paramount to, to team success. If you take out the quarterback position and just look at teams in the NFL based solely off of the rest of the players, the Colts and the Browns are arguably like top five. Te- like Colts are definitely top five. Browns are arguably up there. With their I, would add two, I would add two other teams, which I think really illustrate this point also, who we're probably not going to talk about now because we knew that their mm-hmm. quarterbacks were fraudulent. The Steelers and the Broncos, both teams yeah. with top five defenses, good offensive weapons. The Steelers' offensive line is more of an issue, but still good offensive weapons and nothing at quarterback and clearly no prospects yeah. moving forward with this version of the team. 
Yeah, but it's just it's frustrating because the Browns and the Colts arguably won two in offensive line, arguably one two in running back tandems. Obviously, uh, the Browns you got um, Nick Chubb backed up by Kareem Hunt, and the Colts you got Naheem Hines backed up by <laughs> I knew Jonathan you were Taylor. Doing this. Uh, I knew I, I saw this a mile away. Oh my god! tackling the NFL. <laughs> and oh, the offense around them is stacked. Sure, maybe the wide receiver cores aren't great, but. Michael Pittman is a is a B plus wide receiver in the NFL. You got um, I guess Jarvis Landry. You had Odell at the start of the season. You have Jarvis Landry, which was like another B plus wide receiver. Like it's not horrible. There are worse wide receiver cores. You you go out. You got Donovan Peoples Jones, who had a fantastic preseason. You got uh, uh, Strachan on the Colts, who had a really good preseason. Like you got upside. You got some good tight ends. It's a very solid core. And if you had a good quarterback, I, these are both easy, easily Super Bowl contenders. It's just, it sucks to see. So this really makes me wonder how these teams move forward because the Colts have already given up their first round pick because Carson Wentz played all, most of their games this season. And they're probably going to run it back with him. And I'd say they probably will make the playoffs next year, but their ceiling, their ceiling is just so low. Because but like, chances- what makes you think that next year they'll be any better than this year. The thing is, they just don't have a great path to a quarterback who isn't Carson Wentz. That's what's really tough. Like, unless they're going to trade for, like, Aaron Rodgers or something. And what's sad is that the chances of Carson Wentz putting together, like, a Joe Flacco-esque postseason run seems slim. But even more than that, I can't even expect him to be, like, a mediocre quarterback for every game and just be consistent the way that Jimmy Garoppolo was, like, two years ago when he took the – I don't know if he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Maybe they took him to the Super Bowl. But – like, he's going to implode in one of those playoff games. I already know that. So they're not making the Super Bowl. They're not winning a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. And this is this is where you got to figure out how much is – how important is it to completely derattle de- your future, like get rid of everything and get a quarterback now? Yeah. And how do important do you think that is for the Colts? Oh, I think it's critical. And I just don't see a great path to that. They've got so much cap space. So they can work with that if they want. But the Colts have always been pretty careful about how they use their cap space. And there aren't really any quarterbacks who are probably going to hit free agency anytime soon. Like, if you really feel that, like, Taylor Heineke is better for your team, you could, like, try to swing something for him. You could, I don't know, maybe go get Ryan Fitzpatrick or something like that. Like, maybe you get Kirk Cousins on your team. All of those are pretty much the same, like, medium-ish floor, low upside yeah. guys. And then you then you start looking at, at like option Z, and that's like Deshaun Watson, and that's when it starts getting worried. And I don't even think Deshaun Watson wants to go to Indianapolis. If I'm being honest, like even yeah, if they were willing to make that trade for him, I don't think he wants to go to Indy. That's the nuclear option. And I think mm-hmm. that some teams, there's a, so many teams that are in this situation going into this off season. I mean, the four that we just talked about, teams like the Dolphins who might not be sold on Tua that. I think one of those teams is going to hit that nuclear button and try to trade for Deshaun, the Panthers also, um, this offseason. But I just want to swing really quickly to Cleveland because I think that this question is even more pressing because of the way their division is has shaken out, where they're in a division with the Ravens and Bengals who have star quarterbacks in the future and are going to be like star quarterbacks for probably 10 more years, barring you know injuries, knock on wood and all that. And then the Steelers, who also have a really good team that's only a quarterback away. And I think... I, I, you know what? I just think that Kirk Cousins is going to be on the Steelers next year. I just feel like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't have a logical reason. It just feels right. You think Mike Tomlin is, is going to deal with that? I don't know. I think he'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think the Browns need to start evaluating themselves in the same way that the Broncos clearly had when they fired Vic Fangio and they decided, hey, we're not going to be a threat 
in a division like this one, unless we have a star quarterback of our own. So we are going to do everything we possibly can to get one. And I think that that is the calculus that needs to be made. And maybe they decide Baker Mayfield can be that star quarterback when he's healthy. He can be that, he can be that player. I have never really thought he could be. And I don't really want to take a massive victory lap for this season either because his shoulder injury clearly affected him significantly, but it's put back his development by a full year. His mechanics have gone to hell and they have one more year to evaluate him and decide whether they want to give him a contract. So it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah. All of these are tough. The whole, like the league standard for quarterbacks has gone up astronomically and it has happened so fast that so many of these teams are left behind. And you gotta, you gotta wonder like, when will it start? When will these blockbuster trades start? And I think it'll be like a chain reaction. Once one team makes a big play on a quarterback, I think all the other teams are like, oh, shoot, we need to do this now or we're never going to get our guy. So we're going to see quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick getting paid way much, way more money than he deserves. And, you know, who's mad about players getting paid a lot of money? That's what's interesting, because I feel like at this point you could really divide franchises for the most part into the 10 to 12 teams who have quarterbacks who they can count on, who are most of them are stars at this point, honestly. And then you've got like another like seven teams or so I, don't, I didn't count it exactly but like another couple teams that are like trying to figure out if the quarterback that they have most of them who are young is their quarterback in the future and then you just have guys who are stuck in limbo the broncos of yeah. the world the steelers of the world and how those teams manage to get from tier three to tier one is really what's going to decide how the nfl shakes out in the next couple of years yeah it's it's a whole new league and i i, and I think it's for the better like we're getting a lot more high-flying offenses Defenses have no chance anymore, uh, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Speaking of defenses not having a chance, there are a few defensive surprises this year. This is what I wanted to talk about at least a little bit, right? Because yeah, the league has swung so heavily towards rewarding offenses and making it as easy to score as possible. That's clearly an imperative coming down from the league office. It gets more viewers. Fans want to see more points. That makes sense. For the record, I really think we need to swing back a little bit in the opposite direction. Like, the rules are getting absurd. Everyone, you know, obviously sees those insane roughing the passer penalties. But there's just so many other ways that the game is tilted toward offenses that need to be mm-hmm. course-corrected at least a little bit. But some defenses did survive and even thrive this year. And I wanted to talk about them because they surprised me. So the first one was Dallas. Because coming into the season, you and I were very high on Dallas because of their offensive potential and figured that they were probably not going to go that far or be that that much of a threat because of their defense. But what's crazy is that they've been propping their defense has propped up their offense quite significantly down the stretch at times when the offense has struggled. And that's been really impressive to watch. Yeah. The Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys to me are one of the more surprising teams this season, not only because of their rookie presence. Uh, we talked, we talked, we haven't talked about Micah Parsons yet, but defensive player of the year candidate already. And we give him a lot of hate. Uh, in the in the draft, early on in the in the scouting process, I was even thinking about taking him number four. But as it went, it, he looked worse and worse. So this comeback, and he's really he's going to be like a long time great if he stays healthy. The way he plays, the the energy he plays with, even in preseason, wanting to get more snaps, like doing push ups on the sideline, he's in the game until the last whistle. And that entire defense has been feeding off of that energy. Trayvon Diggs, great cornerback, 11 picks, obviously, a little overrated. Um, also give up the most yards of any cornerback. Yeah, shouldn't be an all-pro, but is good. 
I want to say something about Micah Parsons because I think my favorite stat from this entire season, maybe the most insane one to me, is that Micah Parsons has a 24% pressure percentage on pass rushing snaps this season. Jeez. The closest player to him on similar volume, at least like relatively high volume, is Matt Judon at 18.6%. Like no one's in his league. And what's crazy is the array of moves that he has as a player who in college primarily played as an off, as a linebacker. And now he's being asked to do so many different things and is excelling or at least holding his own at pretty much all of them. But you mentioned also Trayvon Diggs. Randy Gregory has had an unexpectedly great season. Yeah, yeah. And this is a team that is just hell-bent on creating negative plays or turnovers. And if that means that they give up a chunk play or, you know, a big rushing game, so be it. And that's basically Trayvon Diggs encapsulated, really. And I think that that's going to win them a playoff game as long as they don't get burned too many times. Because <laughs> this was a team that led the league with 34 takeaways, were second in defensive DVOA, and they go up against Jimmy Garoppolo in the in wild card weekend. If someone's going to make a stupid mistake and give Trayvon Diggs the ball, it's Jimmy G. No, I think that that, that could easily be a blowout if if it goes bad early. Jimmy G, we didn't quite get into him at quarterback, but he has not had a good season himself. And he could, he he's very uh, hit or miss. He has his really bad games, and I think he could have one of those next week or this weekend. Yeah. One other defense I wanted to highlight, there's sort of two, but I'll, I'll pass on one of them because I think it was already sort of questionable, is the San Francisco 49ers, who were not bad last year. So it's not necessarily surprising that they've been good, but this year they've been sixth in defensive DVOA, and they did this without any cornerback. That's what actually impresses me. And I just feel like it's worth highlighting that Nick Bosa has firmly cemented himself in the elite tier of edge rushers. He's easily if he had already. Yeah. Oh, yeah, if he hadn't already. I mean, he missed most of last season, which is why – just coming back from a torn ACL with that kind of vengeance is really impressive. Mm -hmm. And it's so strange because you were just talking about Jimmy G, right? And I could see this game turning into a blow up for the Cowboys, but at the same time, Kyle Shanahan plus that defense gives the 49ers a chance to just, you know, pound the ball and have like, if they can stay in this game and like maybe even get ahead early, have one of the, like that. Do you remember that uh, NFC championship game where Jimmy G threw the ball nine times against the Packers? I do. I do remember that. <laughs> that's the, that's the ideal game for the 49ers this year. So yeah. that is what they're going for. Yeah, and to be fair, if anyone can stop this this Cowboys offense, it is the 49ers. Our main concern with them heading into the season was their, their secondary because we just weren't sure if they had the depth to keep up with the other NFC offenses. And we've seen guys like Jaquiski Tart at safety, like Kwan Williams have their best season at our cornerback, have their best seasons of their careers. And it's just something that we didn't expect. So the, the help from the rest of the defense is also huge. And that, it'll be – I don't want to say it's going to be a defensive battle because the Dallas Dallas have such a strong offense. And so do the 49ers in terms of weapons. I, I think it'll be a fun game no matter what. I think the fans will definitely be entertained. Whether there's a lot of turnovers or a lot of touchdowns, you're going to see a lot of stuff. Yeah, this isn't really a playoff preview because we didn't know when we get this episode up, but we're going to sprinkle these in because yeah, these games this weekend are going to be awesome, and I'm really looking forward to them. But Adam, what is your next surprise? I mean, we've just sort of been bouncing around, but what do you have? Um, so just to maybe head back to the draft a little bit. Sure. So so we can, I, so I have a couple of things that we can talk about. I think we'll save the coaching talk for, for the end because that's kind of more recent. Um. But the offensive linemen that were taken in the draft were all, like, surprisingly good. Like, okay, ignore Leatherwood like we did when he was drafted. That's just a Raiders pick. He's not a, he's not a good guard. He's, like, a mid-tier 
offensive guard that will probably last like five seasons max in the NFL. I don't think Ooh, like words. He, <laughs> let, let's write that down. Actually, watch this 2027. We'll see him as a free agent. No one's fine. Okay. But we saw guys like Creed Humphrey, who was a late second round pick, if I or third round pick. I can't remember. Late second, uh, but for the record, we were like I think a lot of people. I can't just give us credit for it. Hey. We were saying that the Steelers should have taken him at twenty three or twenty four instead of Najee Harris. Yeah. And well, we saw how that worked out for them. <laughs> Yeah, and to be fair, I don't know if a good center would have changed anything. Because uh, uh, the, the, the Steelers, like, are they really a playoff team or are they just, like, there, you know? Don't, we'll, we'll get to the Chargers. Don't, don't get me started on that now. <laughs> oh, my God, speak at coaching. Now, but, but not just Creed Humphrey, who is the only, like, center drafted, basically. But uh, well, the, he was the, the second center drafted. I feel like that's worth mentioning. Josh Myers was drafted by the Packers, oh, like two right. picks ahead of him. Yeah. And that went under the radar. But <laughs> the Packers are already really good. Their offensive line is so good. They're, David Bakhtiari has been working his way back from injury and like, getting better all season. But if they had Creed Humphrey, whew, that would be a difference maker. <sighs> yeah. And, I mean, the, 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 the Chiefs killed him in the draft. They also got Trey Smith, at guard, who's having a great year. In the sixth round. Trey Smith has been in incredible. And they and, got him in the sixth and round. I did – did I say that? I, I think one of us said that when he was drafted. I think I think that was a common that was like an agreed upon that we both thought he was good. And it made sense. Like people, he was a very, very highly regarded prospect or, or, mm-hmm. or recruit going out of high school. And then he had some blood clots, which made it hard for him to practice in college. Right. And so it was right, like a combination right. of medical issues and lack of even tape. And he's been great. He's been so yeah. good this year for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the only underperformer kind of from the often obviously ignoring Alex Leatherwood again because that's Alex Leatherwood um is Elijah Vera Tucker yeah I would have liked to see him do a little bit better uh, or actually a lot of bit better but but also like being a rookie guard is so tough that I think just more experience will definitely bring him up but who would have thought that Jalen Mayfield would be the highest rated guard out of rookie seriously <laughs> out of the rookie guard go yeah. tell okay well that's insane I don't I don't I don't I don't believe it. That's disturbing because Jalen Mayfield was so bad. He was so bad, man. He was so and and also he he's across from Chris Lindstrom, who's in really, really good. Really, really good. good. Yeah, no. He was the only offensive guard this season that didn't allow a sack. Wow. And so I maybe that's like just from being next to him or something like that, but that that's that can't be right. Um Jalen Mayfield looked atrocious. Ninety <laughs> percent so bad this year. Oh my he, god. We, he, he was a net, he had to be net negative. We'll get to the Falcons offensive line in a little while because I I want to talk about Matt Ryan um later on. Mm. But Jalen Mayfield was not part of was not something helping Matt Ryan this year. <laughs> hey, don't wait too long. We're all be in like a retirement home. Oh my uh, god. It, it, but oh God. I mean that that's like the guards are 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 their own thing, but the tackles were very good. Like Panay Sewell, very good. Christian Derisaw, very, very underrated season, very good. Yeah, they didn't ask him to do a ton. So I, I want to see how he develops like moving forward. They like you know, yeah. use a ton of there quick was... game, just like got the ball out immediately, so they wouldn't really need to pass protect. Yeah. But I want to see him moving forward. Yeah, there's one very funny clip of him putting Nick Bosa on his ass that went very viral okay. um on TikTok because Minnesota Vikings fans are just like, hey, if you're down about this season and our future. Look at this. Look at look, look at Dereshaw putting Nick Bosa on his butt. Vikings um, fans are very funny. Yeah. And then the best offensive tackle from this class, I mean, yeah. so far, obviously, subject to change was Rayshon Slater, who could have been an all-pro oh, yeah. this year, probably. I was thinking we were going to go Liam Eikenberg, but yeah, go ahead. Dude, 
God, I forgot the dolphin jumped in the second round. Dude, I'm going to go jump off the bridge. I have repeatedly said that if the Dolphins trade for Deshaun Watson, I'm going to become a Chargers fan. And I honestly just hope they do it at this point so I can become a Chargers fan with a clean conscience because it hurts. And it hurts to watch our offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole like 30 minutes on the Dolphins. <laughs> Instead, I want to talk about a happy team because we were just talking about Rashawn Slater. And I want to talk about the Chargers, who happy is questionable, but this team and this team season has been defined by Justin Herbert taking the leap. It's very clear that last year wasn't a fluke. His rookie season wasn't a fluke. And the Chargers can feel confident they have a top five quarterback for the foreseeable future. Down the stretch, he put the team on his back over and over again. And we just saw how, especially like in the red zone, um, when it was like third or fourth down, his arm strength opens windows that really don't exist for pretty much anyone else in the league. Maybe Patrick Mahomes, who doesn't really attempt those kinds of throws as often. But what I want to talk about is what the Chargers are missing because, you know, they didn't make the playoffs because of one of the weirder games of the 2021 regular season. Oh my Lord. That, that could get its own episode. For sure. That game. But that game highlighted basically all their biggest flaws at offensive line on the offensive line. They just can't have Storm Norton be their starting right tackle again next year. Max Crosby put him in the blender on basically every single snap. And so they just need to revamp the entire right, start, right side of their line. They need a field stretching wide receiver. Jalen Guyton just isn't enough to threaten opponents downfield. And that should be a prerequisite for your offense when Justin <laughs> Herbert is your quarterback. Yeah. And then they just need and to... It's, and it's one of the easier positions to fill. Oh, for sure. Like, Deshaun Jackson honestly probably could have done that this year. And there are plenty of guys who they can get in the draft. I'm not that worried about that. And then maybe most importantly, honestly, other than, like, offensive line, is a defensive tackle who can fill a gap in the half. Because... When you have Brandon Staley as your head coach and he emphasizes using light boxes to get plus one in the pass game, to have more defenders available in the pass game, very smart, you know, very analytically sound. That makes a lot of sense. That's fine. But to be able to do this, you need to be incredibly disciplined. Your players need to be really smart. They need to be able to fill multiple gaps, especially on the defensive line, which gives your safeties time to flow downfield and come from like, like all the way up top from cover two, all the way down and make plays in the run game. I can't have one Jerry Tillery is your starting defensive tackle. Jerry Tillery is horrifying to watch in run defense. <laughs> and that just can't happen again next year if they want to be successful. Yeah, the Chargers are definitely one of the more electric, pun intended, teams to watch. Uh, they, <laughs> Justin Herbert, like we talked about in this offseason, just like how, how much upside he has. And he's one of the few quarterbacks that completely came through. He had a couple rough games to start off the season, but after that, he was one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the NFL. That connection with Keenan Allen is unbelievable. Obviously, he's getting up there in age, and old and the NFL hates old wide receivers. But his connection with Keenan Allen was enough to carry that that wide receiver core. Obviously, Mike Williams had himself a season too, but if he can do that with one wide receiver, if he had options downfield like a better Jalen Guyton. I don't even want to think about how productive that offense would be because they also have one of the better interior offensive lines in the NFL too. So I'm, I have so much I like hope for this Chargers team. Nine and eight obviously isn't the best record for this team. And it, it will probably be their lowest record for the next like five, maybe even like seven, 10 years. I really hope so. And I think that this team has a lot of upside because Brandon Staley's scheme is so complicated that it normally takes a couple of years to kick in. The players, you really need to learn it and need to sit, uh, sink in so that they can make those plays just instantaneously. 
because it takes you need to be so smart to play in it that if you're trying to think while you're out on the field, it gets really hard for you to be able to react fast enough. This is a team where I don't often advocate for trading up in the first round unless you're doing it for a quarterback. I think if it might be worth moving up for number 17 to get Jordan Davis, because Jordan Davis would be so valuable for this team. And obviously, mm-hmm. the, char- the Chargers have been burned somewhat recently by trading up. Their last big trade-up was in the first round two years ago, where instead of using their second-round pick on what would become Kyle Duggar when the Patriots took him, they drafted Kenneth Murray, who is the most depressing linebacker to watch play maybe in the entire NFL. Because normally... He's up there. Yeah, it takes like years for him to diagnose a play once it starts. And then once he starts moving, he normally misreads it anyways. Uh, like he's unplayably bad uh, and that's brutal to waste a first round pick and what was the equivalent of a second in the third round pick on you can't do that yeah no and the charges have been historically bad in drafts so the fact that they have had so much luck with Justin Herbert is is like could because come on coming out of college no one saw this coming oh yeah so they got, there's a lot of clips of you talking shit about Justin Herbert <laughs> on the internet they they gotta they gotta they gotta figure something out because this is their best chance that they've had since maybe like I don't even want to say prime Phil I think this is better than Philip Rivers ever was oh, cool. and I I I think Justin Herbert is a Super Bowl winning quarterback and we'll see that in five years maybe oh I agree I mean they have the second most cap space in the league going into this offseason so if they fill in those pieces with a combination of the draft and free agency they should immediately be a Super Bowl contender next year. Their biggest obstacle is really mm-hmm. just the other team in their division that has a top five quarterback. Yeah. Let's let's talk about coaches because we you 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 your team has has had a lot of uh, involvement in this recently. We saw we saw a judge retire. We saw oh wait no judge you got fired. Judge got fired. Gettleman um, retired. We re, yeah retired, we got a ghetto. A gentleman retired. We got a judge re- got, that got fired. We got a mayor that got kicked out. We got whatever you can call what happened to Brian Flores. Zimmer's gone. Matt Nagy's gone. David Coley's now gone. I'm not even going to mention John Gruden. Uh, Vic Fangio's gone. Uh, it, it was a it, like a lot of coaches are gone this season. I, I, but to me, the most interesting one is Brian Flores. How do you analyze that? This is so interesting because I didn't really expect this to happen as a Dolphins fan who stays pretty in the loop about Dolphins stuff. And I guess I just wasn't really reading the TV correctly, but it definitely caught everyone off guard. I didn't realize, and I, the more of this started coming out, I think, after the firing, how bad his relationships had been with some of the players, how um, it was just like a pretty negative clubhouse to be in. And obviously, I mean, all the stuff that went on with like Tua getting benched over and over again didn't help. I didn't think they should be, they should have fired him. I thought that this was something that Steven Ross did pretty unilaterally. And I just didn't love it. I think Kevin Clark from the ringer tweeted this out after the firing, but if when you fire your head coach, he immediately becomes the best head coaching candidate on the market. You probably shouldn't have fired your head coach. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really my takeaway from this entire situation. Brian Flores just had two of the better seasons you could probably expect to have from this Dolphins team that they currently have right now. I know that they didn't make the playoffs, but they ended up over 500 each of the last two years. And <laughs> the fact that they moved on from him after that just blows my mind. Yeah, it, it really, it makes, I'm I, like, I tried for a good like 30 minutes today to find one reason why you would fire Brian Flores. And unless you can come up with a better option for that position, 
I can't come up with anything. That, like, that team needs a leader, and he was the perfect guy for that role. He's now seen Tua grow. He knows what the team has to offer and knows how to work with the team. All I know is that someone's getting a very good head coach and that was not expecting it. And I don't know. He could. I could see him having a playoff contender soon. I'm, I'm very curious to see how he does in the future, how the Dolphins look in the future. Because, I mean, like, again, he clearly burned through relationships pretty quickly. Like, he had multiple offensive coordinators, multiple defensive coordinators, uh, just a lot of turmoil on the coaching staff around him in, like, three seasons that he was there. But the Dolphins' defense was really good in large part because of him. I mean, that's what stayed consistent. Like, the way they used sim- simulated pressures and different looks to mess with quarterbacks' heads pre- and post-snap was really a lot of him um, coming from Bill Belichick. He really just took it to another level. And I wonder what the Dolphins are going to look like next year under a different coach. I mean, like, if we could, you know, like, bring in, like, Vic Fangio as our defensive coordinator, not as a head coach, not, not as the head coach. Vic Fangio as our defensive coordinator, I would be thrilled. Did I just hear Vic Fangio head coach? I think that's what I heard. I'm, I'm not saying anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that would be awesome. Other than that, I think we could see a lot of regression from the Dolphins' defense for next year. Yeah, and we'll know why. <laughs> yeah. Which other head coaching? What's it? Okay. Oh, well, I was just gonna say, which other head coaching vacancies surprised you the most? Because I know that like Mike Zimmer was probably gonna be gone at some point in like the next couple of years, and it's sort of been leading up to this for like three years now, honestly. But it still was surprising to see his yeah. tenure end with the Vikings. He's just been there for so long and has been one of their most successful coaches in a long time. That seeing it end this way was pretty surprising to me. Yeah, I just couldn't believe that Matt Nagy got fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just came straight out of left field. I know Bill. I know the Bears fans that we've had on the podcast were really upset about that. Um, and I just want to take this moment to say I'm so sorry, guy. Yeah, you're never gonna get Matt Nagy back. This is brutal. Like, I mean, that's an end of an era. That was a generational play caller that you guys had, and I just don't know why yeah. Koskies did it. I'm, I'm sorry, I've never you. seen a coach quite like him. You know, never. I'm going to give us a little bit of a hat tip because when Urban Meyer was fired, our main topic of conversation wasn't whether he'd be good; it was whether he'd stick around for a full season. And we were right; he did not. So, hat tip to no. us. Because <laughs> I don't know if that was the hardest thing to call, but man, that was a dumpster fire on every level. I mean, it was either going to be he was the problem or everyone else was a problem. And to be fair, both were a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but he was not, like, helping them out at all. I mean, kicking a kicker, that's just straight out of like, a comic book. <laughs> okay. Like, so to close out, like, this topic, though, what are your, I'll say, top three coaching vacancies ranked going into this offseason? If you were a head coach and you ooh. were looking at your options, which are the most attractive candidacies for you? Well, first off, I'm looking at the Jags. You got a number one overall quarterback there. Like, there's no avoiding Trevor Lawrence. Like, you got stuff to work with no matter what. With if you take the Jags, you got a lot of young. Obviously, the team around them isn't great, but just Trevor Lawrence is huge. Just having that. Same with the Bears. You got uh, Justin Fields. You got arguably, actually, I don't want to say a better team around him. Uh, just slightly, slightly. Their defense has more upside than the Jaguars' I'm, defense currently has. Right. Um, another young team, another bad team, but you got Justin Fields. So, so you're, you're looking at Trevor Lawrence, you got Justin Fields. Out of those two situations, which coaching position would you rather have? 
I think I would rather have the Jaguars because I, oh, and then you can't forget about all all rookie team Davis Mills who <laughs> and that Texas job. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put that one to the side. I do not even want to think about <laughs> like getting after David Culley was fired after one season for doing nothing wrong and never being given a chance. I would not touch that job with a ten foot pole if I was like a head coaching candidate with like any viable options for other teams. But that's a really tough question to me because I think that. Trevor Lawrence is a slightly better prospect than Justin Fields. I think after one season, we can say that just from what they did in that one year. But the Bears are better around Justin Fields than the Jaguars are around Trevor Lawrence. And their ownership situations are pretty equally dysfunctional. Okay, you know what? No, I changed this. I'm saying the Bears because I think Trent Baalke is a worse general manager than whoever the Bears are going to hire as general manager. So that's that's my answer. Okay. But that wasn't what I was going to say. You're, you're, you're doing the whole, like, it can't get worse. Basically. But that actually isn't probably what I'd say because I know you need a quarterback to win in the NFL, but I think I would probably rather gamble on getting a quarterback with the Broncos or getting either two to become something or getting a different quarterback with the Dolphins and just taking those teams who have really good defenses, pretty decent weapons uh, around the, on the offense and just trying to figure it out at quarterback. I think that's that's probably what I'd do. Mm-hmm. If I didn't want to get fired in like two years, essentially. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I'd agree. I'd say, I'd say the same thing. The vacancies are better, actually, are worse this year than they were last year. But I would say overall, there are options and there are upsides on all the teams that are that are coachless except for the Vikings. All right, Adam. I have two teams that confused me and surprised me a lot this season. Do you want to go to the desert or the bayou? Ooh. Let's go, let's go to the bayou. All right. The bayou. The bu- okay, I don't know. Josh doesn't know how to pronounce words. Episode 1000. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints because it isn't necessarily a surprise that they were bad. That's to be expected when you start a combination of Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill, and Ian Book for 10 weeks. But I just want to talk about where the Saints are moving forward because they quietly had what I think was the best defense in the league. They were third in DVOA, but I think they were the best defense in the league, especially over the second half of the season. And it wouldn't surprise me next season if the Saints took like a 2020 bucks ish leap where they didn't get any help from their offense. They were put in disadvantageous situations from their offense the entire previous season. And so once they got competent quarterback play next season, I think that this might look way better for both their defense and their offense. And this is especially ironic because I am saying that <laughs> in 2020, the Bucks improved after Tom Brady came in and stopped putting them in the terrible position that Jameis Winston had putting them in. I am saying now mm-hmm. that the Saints getting Jameis Winston back could do the exact same thing to them, which is surprising, I think, to say the least. And obviously, I'm a big Jameis yeah. supporter. But this season, Jameis Winston cut his interception percentage from 4.8% in his last season starting, which was, of course, the <laughs> generationally impressive 30-30 season, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Yeah. Um, to yeah, only one of the best seasons of all time. Incredible. Truly, maybe my favorite. To 1.9% under Sean Payton, which is actually good. And his passing efficiency stayed relatively similar to how it was in the past, just with less turnovers. He was a good quarterback this season until he got hurt. So I say all of this with the caveat that they are, again, $60 million over the cap in 20, for 2022, and they might need to cut some good players or let Teron Armstead or Marcus Williams leave in free agency. But if they don't, they'll figure it out. Yeah, no, I think they'll probably figure it out. That's what uh, Mickey Loomis does. <laughs> they'll, they'll not cut anyone in. They'll probably just extend every. They'll probably just extend everyone. But like, if they figure this out, I feel good about the Saints going to twenty twenty two. Yeah, 
obviously rival here. Don't like the Saints. Sure, sure. That should be but in mind. They didn't make the playoffs, which makes it much easier to talk about them. Really, it's another one of those like quarterback situations where they have a really good team, but they have Taysom Hill at quarterback. I like I'm not saying Taysom Hill had a bad season because he really like produced better than I thought, but it's Taysom. Yeah, you, you guys not going to be what a, you should have expected from having Taysom Hill at quarterback. Exactly, like he he did exactly what you thought he was going to do, but I'm mean, Jameis Winston is a Hall of Famer. Like he he is going to be like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time when it's all said and done. And we really just can't look past that fact. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be just like Tom Brady going to the Bucks because Jameis Winston has that same legacy behind him, and, and he's going to bring a whole new spirit to that offense. And it's really it's going to suck because the NFC South is just full of Hall of Fame quarterbacks, except for the Panthers. So I, I gotta, I gotta actually wait. The Panthers have Cam Newton. They got four Hall of Fame quarterbacks. You're pushing I, a I, lot I, of buttons in one, in like one <laughs> second. You're pushing a lot of people's buttons. <laughs> just, just, just for any listeners, um, I'm not being serious. Tom Brady isn't a, a Hall of Famer. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough division when Jameis Winston is back. And in all seriousness, I do think he'll be a very good quarterback when she's fully healthy and with the full team. Um, for me, it's more can they keep everyone around him uh, to to have a manageable future? And I don't see any reason that they won't with the, how good they are with managing money. Yeah. And really, their only other huge weakness other than quarterback is wide receiver. But if Michael Thomas comes back, I really hope he does. You haven't seen him in a little while. Yeah. (laughs) You have Mark West Callaway, who showed that he can be a pretty decent wide receiver two or three. And then you draft someone like Chris Olave or Drake London or maybe Garrett Wilson with the 18th pick, depending on who's there. Their wide receiver room could actually (laughs) become a strength pretty quickly. So... I think that the Saints will be making some noise. I know this was surprises from this past season. I think that they could be a surprise next season. Yeah, I agree. And maybe they'll trade for someone because yeah. they got to get rid of cap somehow. So that's true. Maybe dump some cap to the to the Bears and pick up Demir Bird. <laughs> they already they already had no. They have they had a better Demir Bird and Deontay Harris. Hey, Demir Bird was ranked fourth out of all wide receivers on PFF. <laughs> It's a real indictment if you have that there. But okay. <laughs> I don't know why you need to come for that. Let's, let's go, though, to the desert quickly because this was the most surprising team in 2021 to me. It's just a team that I don't understand at all because at first they seemed to have one of the league's best teams through like six weeks or so. And then through the following 10 or 11 weeks, the wheels just slowly fell off the bus in different ways while still maintaining just enough pieces to prove that they're a threat, completely unpredictable from week to week. I have no idea what the Cardinals are going to look like in the playoffs, and I don't think that the regular season has told us that much about what to expect from them. No, I I think that's going to be a very game-time team. Uh, We'll either see them really, like, excel in the playoffs with all their vets and mixed with not experienced players. It's, It's a very weird mix. Mm-hmm. You either got you like you walk down the line and then you you see like oh okay they got they got this vet oh wait but he's like fourteen wait he's like eighty seven like why why are these no like, no you you like you kids go, playing you like go to the offense and you're like oh AJ Green I remember that guy and then you're like oh Rondale Moore <laughs> he's half his age <laughs> wait a second is that Zach Ertz? 
Oh, okay. Just just making sure. Well, he okay. He's double Kyler Murray. Oh, got it, got it. Double Kyler Murray size and age. Okay, okay. Wait, wait a second. DeAndre Hopkins. I remember you. Wait, you're hurt though. That's well. That's really interesting though. I mean, mentioning that because DeAndre Hopkins' loss really hurt the Cardinals in a way that obviously losing a star wide receiver and All Pro wide receiver would hurt any team, but the Cardinals specifically because of the air raid style that Cliff Kingsbury uses to run their offense, which means that rather than distributing his routes and his targets to like Christian Kirk or I don't know, AJ green or whichever other good receivers they still have on their offense. What Cliff Kingsbury has really done is just plug Antoine Wesley, who not bad, but probably not a hall of famer. Uh, he just plugged Antoine Wesley yeah. into DeAndre Hopkins' spot. And that is just not mm-hmm. a great way to keep your offense running in that same efficient way. Yeah, you can't run the same offense after losing a guy like Nuke. It's just it doesn't work. And obviously, the Cardinals don't have the best coaching staff. But it's it's just even like changing it up a little because it wasn't good when Nuke was there. Like, let's get that straight first. That's true. Like, it's not a great offensive plan. But it's going to be even worse if you don't have it. So maybe maybe try something else out. It's not like you don't have any wide receivers. Rondell Moore and uh. And AJ, I don't even know how to rate AJ Green, but Christian um, Kirk is looking good. Christian, then you got Christian Kirk, you got Zach Ertz, and uh, is that it? And, I mean, Antoine yeah, Wesley, I guess not bad, just not DeAndre Hopkins, honestly. Like that's what I'll say. Right, I wasn't even mentioning him because he's on his own level. But yeah, uh, <laughs> the, uh, those those receivers, they're not bad. They're workable, and they're workable into an actual offense. They're not workable into an offense that re- revolves around Antoine West, uh, as great as he is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's a good team, but will they beat the Rams? I'm not confident. Flipping to the other side of the ball, Vance Joseph has done a great job with this defense. Unsurprisingly, he's blitzing at a top five rate in the league. But what's really impressed me is how the secondary has held up because this is a team where coming into the season, similarly to the 49ers, actually, we were really concerned about their secondary or at least their secondary's viability as a way for their defense to be any sort of impediment to offenses, I guess. But Byron Murphy has mm-hmm. really improved. Buda Baker's a monster who has really played up to that contract, which we weren't sure about at the time of his signing. And then Marco Wilson, the rookie fourth round pick out of Florida, who was best known, I'd say, for costing the Gators a game by throwing an opponent's shoe, has had a really nice rookie <laughs> season in the slot. So, yeah. So that combination of players has actually turned into like a workable secondary. And then, you know, getting like occasional contributions from like Isaiah Simmons, at linebacker, who's been okay, I guess, this year. I don't know. Less bad than last year. <laughs> um, yeah. They did the I mean, same. To be fair, though, they did the exact same thing where they drafted like their like hybrid massive linebacker and then weren't able to play him because he wasn't good in his rookie season with Zayvon Collins this year. So I don't know. That's another thing. Like, is he ever going to play? Like, I don't like. I, I, I really progress? can't tell you until Cliff Kingsbury is gone. I can't predict anything that's going to happen under the Cardinals when Cliff Kingsbury is yeah, in charge. Fair enough. It's a, such a weird situation there. Who who do you have in that game against the Rams? That's one I've been thinking about a lot, and I swung back and forth a bunch of times. I think it's a really close game and basically a toss-up. But for me, I think the difference is actually going to be the Rams secondary because do you see that the Rams signed Eric Weddle? I did see that. So that happened because Jordan Fuller is out for the rest of the year. Um, he got hurt in the last game of the yeah. season. I don't remember exactly what happened. And Taylor Rapp is in concussion protocols, and I don't think he's going to play this week. And 
because the Rams defensive scheme is so dependent on those safeties coming down, being really smart and then coming down from the second level and making plays in the run game. I could really see the Cardinals running. And also the Rams have bad linebackers. They've never really cared about their linebackers because their, se- because their secondary is held up and then their defensive line has been so good. I think that the Cardinals could actually really run over the Rams. But I mean, if the Cardinals lose by like 20, I also wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> yeah. It, do you think Weddle's game ready? Like, did, oh, I no, guess no, no. Make I think he's, I think he's like a depth piece that like, if like another safety or two gets hurt during the game, he comes in. I don't think they expect him to start or anything. Yeah. Like, and I don't think they would sign him if he's completely like, Oh, like it can, they're just signing as a coach at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, but like the Rams have Raheem Morris, who's great with linebackers or at least development. So like Kenny Young, I think is their is their like main middle linebacker or um, who the I can't remember the other guy, a reader, Troy Reader, I guess. Just not guys you want to have to tackle. I don't know James Conner, Chase Edmonds. So if if they can stay like cohesive uh, with all the despite their injuries. I think the Rams should uh, easily take down the Cardinals. Yeah, the Rams are another team that, like, every time I think I know what I'm getting out of them, they surprise me. So this is why this line, yeah. this matchup on Monday night is going to be, first of all, a thrilling game to watch. I'm very excited for it, but one that I really can't make any sort of confident predictions about. I'm totally on the same page. Well, I guess while we're on the theme of playoff predictions, we might as well go down that route. You know, we saw we saw Julian Edelman put a hundred grand on the Bucks Pats final. It's you know that you know it's bold. I'll give it to him, but hey, he could walk out with five hundred thirty thousand dollars. I mean, Julian Edelman, you have the money, but what is your Super Bowl prediction, Adam? That's that's what that's what I was gonna ask you, and I'm mad at you for asking me first. Um, <laughs> well, I'm gonna and well, I have to say the Chiefs because I've said them since the end of last season. Um, I put money on them before the season started. I had the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, barring a Patrick Mahomes injury. I, that's like my number one like prediction. I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, and I have since basically the start of last season. Mm-hmm. I, and I think the more the bigger question for me is the NFC. Uh, whoever comes out of the NFC, and to me, it's probably between the Packers and the and the Bucks. And I'm going to go with the Packers. It's just. I, you can't bet against Aaron Rodgers that many times and expect to get away with it. I think he finally breaks through. I don't think he beats the Chiefs, but I think he 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 finally gets there. And uh, I, I, it'll be a very good Super Bowl. If it's, if it's Chiefs-Packers, I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I think Kansas City is probably going to play Green Bay. And the reason I think it's Green Bay instead of Tampa Bay is because the Bucs have just sustained so many injuries in recent weeks that I just – don't think yeah. that they have enough left. I mean, now maybe Shaq Barrett is still really good and JPP is really good, but they're both playing injured. Levante David might not play uh, in this first playoff matchup, and I don't know how he'll play when he comes back. And Devin White is mm-hmm. so much worse without uh, Levante David on the field that it's a huge, huge difference to their defense, whether he plays or not, and whether he plays effectively. That I just feel I have a lot of trouble betting on the Bucks when they've got so much falling apart around Tom Brady. Without AB and without Chris Godwin, that's also just such a huge loss. And when running, oh, they lost AB. How did that happen? Oh no, we're not doing that. (laughs) But when running backs have hamstring injuries, I also sort of expect that to recur, which concerns me for Leonard Fournette. So it's just like a whole variety of things. There's just so many different reasons that I'm concerned with the Bucks. I think it's just a safer pick to pick the Packers. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you're picking a team with a buy, which is which also helps. Agreed. 
And then Kansas City is just the easy pick. I think the only team that really threatens them in the AFC, and maybe I'll eat my words and Joe Burrow will lead the Bengals Super Bowl. I think the only team that actually threatens them in the AFC is the Big Ben and the Steelers. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> based on the Super Bowl matchup in that first round. No, it, it's the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. I think that they've gotten significantly better over the second half of the season. And some of the throws that Josh Allen has been making in recent weeks have been on another level, really. I'm um, going back to that last mm-hmm. matchup against the Patriots. So if he can hit that groove again, the Bills are going to be a team to contend with. Yeah, it's whatever happens, it's going to be a fun playoffs. The expanded format makes it more interesting. We had a very interesting last week of the season where we didn't quite get to the Chargers coaching decision there, but a, a tie would have gotten the Steelers eliminated after celebrating so much. It, it was it was really weird, but now we have our, our our bracket set, and we only have like two or three gimmies. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a fun first week of playoffs. We might come back for another episode later on in the playoffs, see how it's going, and definitely a recap after the playoffs. It, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to to watch all these teams who we haven't really seen before. Like, when was the last? I guess I guess like the big dogs we've been seeing for a while, but the Bengals in the playoffs, like what? How did that happen? It, it, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Are you? Oh, and can't forget the Eagles. You know they could make a run. I mean, this is one of the least predictable playoffs that I've seen in a long time. I really have no confidence in predicting any of it, which I think makes it exciting. I think that that means that every game could go any way, and I think that's really exciting for all of them, except for the Steelers. They're going to lose terribly in the first round. That I will say confidently. But recording uh, this... You know, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw in another one. Sorry, I think that the Buccaneers are going to handle the Eagles. I'm actually not that confident in that one, but we'll see how that one shakes out. I just think that the Bucs are going to have trouble stopping the Eagles' run game, but... This episode has been a blast to record. I know it's been a little while, but I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And like Adam said, we might have a few more episodes in us after the season or maybe during the playoffs. We'll see what happens, but I hope you guys enjoyed it and we will see you guys next time.